Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm your host, Dallas. And I'm Anne. And today we are joined by none other than Mr. Geeksplained himself. Come on down, Eric Azana. Ah, oh my gosh. How you doing, Eric? Hi, I'm actually, my, my name is Eric Azana and today I'll be playing the role of Lexi. I'm very nervous about this, but I'm I'm going to try to give the 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 usual amount of whimsy that I can. Um, really nervous. This the, this one's for you, Lexi. This one's for you. Listen, one theater kid to another. Alexis and Eric, his clasping hands like predator. <laughs> <laughs> uh, d- dibs on uh, dibs on Schwarzenegger though. He makes it. He makes it. He makes it alive. <laughs> Just the middle hand is labeled like crappy versions of Les Mis. And it's yeah. you two like slapping hands together. Okay. Okay. You know what? For real. Listen though. to your Jean Valjean. <laughs> and I'm Javert. I will, I will defend that Russell Crowe performance until the day I die. I, are you not entertained? Come on. You're right though. <laughs> You're right. He makes that movie. I was waiting for the musical number in The Pope's Exorcist. I was like, come on, Russell. Where's the song? <laughs> you know he him. was dying to do it in Love and Thunder. Like He was like, I'm in a little skirt. I am doing the most here. I want to sing a song. It, it couldn't have made the movie worse. It could only have improved it. It could Agreed. only have gone up. Totally so mad at Love and Thunder. And I'm just like, guys, these movies have been bad for a while. Why are we this upset? But they're not all that bad, Dallas. That one. That one. There are some good ones, too. I think this next one might be one of the good ones. I'm really excited about this next one. Also really excited for this (laughs) next one. But we're not here to talk about superheroes today. All right. Get them. Throw them out. We're done. I don't know how princess in this book, right? (laughs) <laughs> the monkey prince is in this book a little bit different than dc continuity monkey prince i think it's uh one of the different children though Bingo. specifically same writer yeah same yes. writer it's all canonical it's all canonical it's all happened from... everything matters exactly yeah so if you want a prelude to <laughs> batman the brave and the bold the first thing you need to pick up before James Gunn's Batman the Brave and the Bold film is Jean Luen Yang's American-born Chinese. That's right, folks. That's what we're covering today. We are releasing this on the same day as the Disney Plus television show is dropping for American-born Chinese. So we'll talk a little bit about our hopes and dreams for that towards the end of the episode. But... And this is your first time with American Born Chinese. Yeah. I think it's your first Gene Luen Yang creator-owned comic too, right? Shoot, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was how was that experience? Okay, just put me on the spot, why don't you? Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> this was a book I I remember I've I've had this on my shelf for maybe about a year now. I picked it up at Half Price Books not too long ago. I'm like, I heard this was amazing. I need to give it a shot, and I read through it a little bit. And reading it for the first time, you see from the beginning that there's three separate stories, or at least that's how they appear. Um, By the way, going full spoilers in the show, if you haven't read it yet, make sure you take a look because there's 
a lot of fun things that happen towards the end of this book that ties a lot together that I don't want to, I don't want you to have spoiled before you actually have a chance to experience it firsthand. But I remember I was reading it. I'm like, okay, I'm, I think I can see some of the threads, but then I got to the third story and I think it was, it was a lot. And I'm like, I need to come back to this at a different point. Cause I was just kind of casually reading and I'm like, this is a lot to take in. I'm going to come back at a different, at a different time. And I'm glad that I got to, get it today i took one sit down finished it head to tail and it was one of the coolest experiences i've had with a comic in a while because when all these all three of these stories start tying together at the end and you realize the whole time it's just been one continuous story the same theme throughout all of them and it's just it it's been a while since the comics had like that shock factor with me where i'm like wow i cannot believe that was pulled off as smoothly and as wonderfully as it was. It was, it's phenomenal. Everything about this book was just lovely, phenomenal, and it, it blew me away. I was really, really impressed by it. All right. Eric, what are your thoughts initially about American Born Chinese? I mean, it's it's one of my favorite creator-owned comics of all time. Um if you have listened at all to my show, you know that I'm a big fan of Gene's. Um, he's one of my favorite writers currently working. And every, every, I've never read a book from him that I haven't immediately fallen in love with in one way or another. And I remember reading this for the first time and having one of those like existential crisis moments where you read a book and you're like, was he following me around as a child watching me and <laughs> writing down my experiences? Like it's so beautiful to see a story that so completely encompasses the Asian American experience. And I, I mean, every single time I read this, I find something new that I love about it. It's a book that like Anne mentioned initially presents you with three separate narratives that all kind of intertwine together with this um, unifying theme of identity and growth. And it's it's just, it's got all the hallmarks of the things that I love in every Jean Lun Yang book, but also with a little little touch of the Asian American experience that I, I can't get enough of. It's, it's a lovely, lovely read. I think it's such a beautiful tale of I, I mean I love the title American born Chinese, right? Yeah. I'm not an Asian American, but I feel like so much of the American experience is also talked about here. This idea of individuality and assimilation and being at war with yourself at this time of life about how you're going to fit in and how you're going to stay true to who you are. And I think some of the magic of this book is taking an experience that I did not have, I have never been an Asian American in the American school system, but I also saw so much of my own growing up here. I saw so much yeah. of the feelings that I've had about finding myself through the years. And I think it's a testament to the talent of Jean Luen Yang to take something that is so him and so personal and apply it to all of us through the participation in this book. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. It's it's one of those things that if you're if you're not Asian American, like you can still find a lot of things mm -hmm. that you 
will connect with and that's that's the hallmark of a good piece of uh good piece of art is that everybody can find something that they relate to in it yeah because it's one of those things that's very universal where it's like even if you can't see it through this specific lens everyone's had those times in their life where they felt like they've been othered in some way shape or form and they felt like i need to conform i need to be a certain way that isn't me so the people will accept me and things will be easier for me and I won't feel like I'm on the outside anymore. And whether you're Asian American or whether you're LGBT or whether you're, you know, whoever, there's ways that everyone can connect to that, I think. I think everyone's had that moment in their life where they realized, I'm doing things that aren't me because it makes it easier. Because some it's really hard to be you. Yeah. It's really, really hard to be you. One of my favorite parts about having Eric on the show and just talking with Eric about comics in general is it always gets to like a very personal place very quickly. So like <laughs> we're nine minutes in and I'm going to overshare. But <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that. I don't know what it is. Every time I'm talking to Eric about a comic, I was like, I should dive into something mm-hmm. deep in my brain and in my trauma. There's something about his, his smile on the other end of this. I'm trauma bait. Eric, you can just yeah. say it. <laughs> Eric, have you ever considered being a therapist? I feel like you'd be really good at it. You have a no, natural talent. I, I I think I I think I need to uh I need to probably go to therapy before I can teach it or or be part of it. But it's you That's know it's not it, the American dream, Eric. You're right. You're right. It's jumping <laughs> into you, things that I'm underqualified for. Exactly. There you go. Politics. Get into it. Go. <laughs> Both feed in. (laughs) And as your presidential candidate for the election of 2024, I'm going to be counting on all of my comic book voters to go out and treat Mm -hmm. this like you are deciding whether Jason Todd lives or dies. Automate this and get me in there. Okay. There are dozens of us. God damn it. I was going (laughs) to dozens. (laughs) But no, I. You know, I tend to get pretty per it's funny that you bring that up because I feel like anytime that I bring y'all onto the show, I always end up getting very personal. And I I I I love getting, you know, personal or oversharing when it comes to this stuff, because this brings that out of us. You know, I still I people bring it up to me whenever they're listening to the podcast for the first time. They're like, were you really crying during the Spider-Man life story episode? I'm like, yes, obviously I was like, it's, it's funny. And it's one of the, you know, comic books is one of those unique pieces of media that is really fun at its outset and really fun upon your first viewing. And then you like take a step back. You're like, wait a second. Wait, hiding behind all of this, you know, fun rigmarole, is that trauma hiding in the corner? And it always is. I I really like this quote from Neil Gaiman, where he says, the very most personal bits of yourself you can put into your art are the pieces that will resonate with the most people. So he says, every time he has put in such a hyper-specific moment from his life that he's sure that no one else will relate to it at all, those are the bits that people bring up every single time. Every signing, those are the parts that say, that is when I felt the most seen. And he said, for him as a creator, that helped him realize that we're not so different after all. All of us have the same weird little life, little childhoods. And the specific thing in American Born Chinese that really spoke to me, 
I, as someone who is a Mormon and grew up in Utah, I was very used to being around a lot of people that had the same worldview as me and around a culture that catered to me in a way that even within like all America, I feel like is unique in how much homogeneity there is. Right. And then I moved across the country and I haven't met anyone else with my background since I've lived here, like a single time. And this is, this is super spoiled, but like, it's just been on my mind so much the last year and a half of just how consistently I feel the need to poke fun at myself, poke fun at my culture, my family, the people where I came from, because it makes people around me more comfortable. Like they, you're sitting in these groups and they have these preconceived notions. They think they know everything that's going on and they don't. And you're faced with this choice. Like, all right, do I be a buzzkill or do I make myself a joke? And so just a small detail this time, but with the cousin, the story about the cousin and the fact that there's a laugh track playing the entire time that the Mm -hmm. cousin is on the screen, it really struck home. That was like, if you make yourself the joke, you won't be the butt of their joke. And it's just something that I wrestle with a lot and it's on my mind a lot and it never was before. And I, it made reading this book now different than it was when I read it four or five years ago. Yeah, that that whole storyline hits harder for me the more I read it. I think this was probably like the fourth time I've read through it. And it's it's strange to me because like the the cousin character, uh, Chin Ki, who is uh, not very subtly at all, a very uh, lightly veiled dig at mm-hmm. a very popular Asian slur, um, is, like you said, set up to be this almost sitcom level uh, stereotype that we would see in sitcoms growing up of Asian people and their cultures. And as somebody here i go over sharon again uh when i was growing up you know when i was in high school you know i was terrified of being asian because all of these stereotypes and things that i'd grown up with um i'm for listeners who don't know i'm i am asian american and i was also a uh, I, i'm a military brat so we moved around a lot and every single time, and it's so funny whenever um, whenever Jin has that initial uh, introduction to the class, they're like, all right, this is, you know, wing wang. And there's like Jin Yang. Like it's so, there's so many little things about this book that I'm like, okay, I remember this happening. I remember this happening. But it's the existential dread of being somebody who has that Asian identity and it being brought up at the time of your life when you have no idea who you are. You just know in a lot of ways who you don't want to be or you who you think you don't want to be. And with this, you know, this storyline of Danny and his crazy cousin, Shin Ki, like it's so 
in, in a way it's cathartic, right? Because you're like, oh, I wasn't alone feeling this way. But it's also tremendously bittersweet and sad because you know that other people felt this way. And I was, you know, I I went to high school in Tucson, Arizona, which you might, as you might suspect, does not have an overly large Asian population. And I I remember maybe four or five other Asian kids in my entire like graduating class. And all of us tried so hard not to be friends with each other because we knew that if we all, you know, it, it was never a spoken thing, but it was kind of this understanding that we don't want to be grouped up as the Asian kids. And having this, you know, this glowing, terrifying image of all these Asian stereotypes and all these things that we could be represented as was a terrifying prospect. And I remember in, you know, in the friend groups that I had in high school, you know, I was the Asian friend and it burned me so badly to the point that I tried to cut myself out of anything that made me, you know, look or feel specifically Asian because it felt like I was running from something that was chasing me. Like it was something that was trying to, you know, catch me in a gotcha. And all of a sudden I was going to wind up, you know, feeling and looking like a stereotype. And so Danny's whole storyline of him fighting against Chin Key and this idea of being Asian. You know, there's the moment when he's talking to, um, I cannot remember her name, but she's basically like, oh, I never noticed like your teeth kind of buck out a little bit. And that's the only thing he can focus on because he's like, oh my God, oh my God, it makes me look and feel more Asian. Like it's so... It, it gives me goosebumps every single time I read through it because I'm like, I was that kid. And it's it's a story that I know a lot of people of you know mixed heritage or even kids who were, you know, full-blooded Asian, but grew up in America have had to go through. Sorry, I was just thinking about what I wanted to say. Cause I, that's, thank you for sharing that, Eric. And also, Dallas, thank you for sharing your story. I just <sighs> didn't want to... F- I'm also going to overshare. <laughs> Yay! Oh, everyone else is three for three. Oversharing okay. bingo. <laughs> I was just, I'm, I've been thinking this whole time where it's like, there's something about this book that was clicking with me and I couldn't figure out what. And I was talking about the cousin and his relationship with Danny and his relationship with Jin and just the way that he sees himself. I remember um, it's pertinent this week because I have been going on a movie binge lately and I've been watching all new movies Except for this week, I decided to do a couple rewatches. And one of those rewatches I did this week, um, I trust me, this will be pertinent. It, it's important. But I rewatched The Little Mermaid 2, the like Return of the Sea movie where it's like Ariel and her daughter, and her daughter finds out she's a mermaid. They put up a wall so she doesn't get to the ocean. It's a whole big thing. But when I was a kid, I remember seeing the um, trailers for the movie, like when you have the VHSs and you get the, the fun coming soon to home video, and I get those trailers, and I got so so excited for that movie because I love the little mermaid so much. It was one of my favorite movies 
My parents got me all the Disney movies all the time. I had my whole VHS collection underneath our TV. It was beautiful. I'm upset that we got rid of those movies. Um, but I remember go, begging, begging my mom and my dad to take me out to go get that movie when it came out. And when the day came, they took me out to get it day of. And I think it was my dad who said it to me. It was meant to be completely harmless. But I remember him saying as I was holding the movie in line to check it out, he was like, you know, most most boys aren't that excited about The Little Mermaid. And that stuck with me like instantly, like instantly switch flipped in my head where I'm like this wait, That's a bad thing. I can't do that. And I remember very specifically after that, I started being very, very self-conscious about anything I was doing that was gendered. I remember in elementary school, we had, we were reading a story where there's a script and we got different characters and I had to play a ladybug and I started crying when I found out the ladybug was a girl because I didn't want anyone to think that I was into girly things because I thought that was wrong. That was bad. And so as time goes on, I remember very, very specifically building up that wall and I think it's why the the Danny moment hit me so thoroughly because I did the exact same thing where it's like, I build up this persona. I surrounded myself with people that helped me build up this persona where it's like, I'm just, I'm just one of the guys, you know, just, I can continue on this way and I can convince myself that I'm happy. And then I get to the point where I start to realize I start to, the, the walls crack that you see through and you're like, something's not right here. I think... I'm not letting myself be happy the way I should. And then I have these really tough conversations. And I remember talking with my partner at the time and my partner was like, do you think you might be trans? I'm like, no, because when I think the word trans, the first thing I thought of was Quagmire's dad from Family Guy. Like this really awful stereotypical example of what it's like to be a transgender woman. Um, And it was everything that I did not want to be. It's like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a spectacle. I don't want to be a freak. I don't want to be someone who grosses people out just by being around. And I feel like I need to read this book again because I keep thinking about it as I'm talking about it. And just the relationship between him and his cousin is like the constant battle between you and the perception society has of you the character the stereotypical way that they see you and trying to come to terms with that's not who you are that is something that you're only enforcing by being afraid of it and that storyline i i didn't think this book affected me as much as i realized it actually did (laughs) sorry i'm definitely definitely oversharing but it's Getting past that, I think everyone has to have that moment where they're the the monkey king under the the pile of rubble where you're like, the only one keeping here is you by not being you. Like, all you have to do is stop trying to be someone else. And damn, that's good. I need to read Journey into the West. (laughs) It's such a good story. Journey to the East. No, it's Journey to the West. I keep getting my directions mixed up. Hey, you know what? I, I feel like everyone who doesn't use or everyone who is more often than not using GPS doesn't actually know their directions at this point. I know I don't. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I could not tell you. <laughs> 
but no i think that's it's and thank you thank you for sharing that like thank thank you for oversharing like i i obviously it's you know all three of us have these very different stories but they're all kind of this unifying experience of having difficulties with coming to terms with who we are and this book is so good at telling three very different stories while still telling the same story just like us that's true damn we, we got we planned that actually got him again <laughs> roll credits that's it that's the stinger yeah, yeah we perfect, jump up perfect episode the, the credits roll i think one of my secret favorite parts was when we switch back to the monkey king about halfway through the book and we learn about the four monks that achieved legendary status yeah. we learn about chi dao who meditated until he became stone we learn about jing zay who fasted so long and then he smirked in the face of death and then Jiang Tao whose sermons would make bamboo weep and then we learn about Wang Lei Tsao who couldn't meditate for much longer than 20 minutes without getting an itch who couldn't fast until after lunch or else he would faint which made me think of my little sister once we were fasting as a family for something and she literally skipped breakfast and at lunch, she was like laying down that like she was on her deathbed. This isn't Alexis. This is the other sister. She had skipped just breakfast and she was oh laying on the gosh. ground and she's like, I think I'm going to faint. Like you missed breakfast. <laughs> it's not even lunchtime yet. It's 11 a.m. And she was like, I just feel a little faint. And so my mom <laughs> let her out of it so she could go get a sandwich while the rest of us were still fasting. Like, you know, <laughs> the rotten bastard. <laughs> um, and then it says that Wang Lei Tsao, when he would preach, people said it made no sense. And then this was the part that really touched me. But every morning, Wang Lei Tsao would rise with the sun gather fruit in a nearby orchard, and share it with the vagrants who lived just outside of town. In the afternoon, he would dress their wounds, and in the evening, he would return home just as the sun was setting. Wang Lei Tsao did this faithfully, day after day, year after year. One afternoon, one of the vagrants asked, Tell me, monk, why do you come here day after day to feed us and dress our wounds? Are you too stupid to get a real job? And he says, I am no longer worth... I am no more worthy of love than you, yet Zayotza loves me deeply and faithfully, providing for my daily needs. How can I not respond in kind? And that's the monk that goes on to impact the monkey king to allow him to accept himself. And there's this great moment when the monkey king has shrunk down to get out from underneath his rubble, and he still has the shoes on his first symbol of assimilation and of allowing himself to be othered. And the monk says on this journey, we have no need for shoes. And there's this wonderful shot of the monkey King and the monk walking away <sighs> mm -hmm. with the shoes left behind. And it just made me think about choosing to live your life in a way that other people feel comfortable being themselves around you something that I've been wrestling a lot with 
is the idea of being because I mean the journey to the West, my understanding, I mean, built off of this book, there's a picture where they've all journeyed to the West and they're seeing baby Jesus in his manger. So, (laughs) you know, more or less. Was that what that was? <laughs> that was my understanding of what that was. It's, I may it, be proof texting there. Yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's ideas of that. Like, oh, maybe they passed along there while they were making their journey. Oh, shoot. So, no, I can see it. So uh, they say, what up to baby Yeshua? And <laughs> it oh, like myrrh. Me... <laughs> uh, there's some myrrh. <laughs> but it it made me think about the kind of person I want to be, right? My background is in Christianity. I was taught for years and years about this idea of boundless love. And then one of the hardest parts of my adult life has been seeing so much of Christianity being about focusing on who to exclude from that boundless love. And it feels so backwards as like the same people that taught me not to do this are doing it now. And I loved watching in this book, this idea of how you can affect someone. like the monkey King would have stayed stuck under that mountain of rubble. If it wasn't for the monk who could just love him as a monkey who didn't care about the smell, the monkey smell in the cave, which was a line that really hits hard for this time through, I was like, holy shit, Gene Luen Yang. But I just, I don't know. I don't know if I have much more of a coherent thought than that, other than it made me want to be the kind of person that could help the Monkey King out from under the cave, right? Because we're all going through stuff. Absolutely. And everyone, we've all had someone who helped us out of our stuff. And so we all need to try and be someone to help the other people out of their stuff. Yeah, could I gush about those shoes for that shoe moment for a second? Because it is, it is that the the story of of Sun Wukong of the Monkey King in this obviously ties in with the other two narratives as well. But the thing that I love so much about this early part of his story, his journey, is he feels so comfortable when he's with his tribe, his people, the people who he feels comfortable with. And then he goes out into the world and finds out that because of who he is, because of his background, he is looked at a certain way. And this pisses him off. He is so mad about being judged, about being stereotyped, about being put into a box, that he decides to start hating the things about him that made him him. He starts to hate the things that made him who he was, and he starts to change them. And the shoes are this thing, like, the shoes represent so much. But obviously, the shoes are also just shoes. They are meant to constrict. They are meant to be this this shell for... I'm gonna. I'm, I'm about to explain what shoes are. Listeners, shoes way back in the day were created to be a shell around your feet to protect it from outwardly threats. But what that does is it's is it isolates you. And having a you know a protective wall is both helpful and harmful because you 
rob yourself of experiencing what life is like beyond the wall. Now, what the Monkey King does here is he changes literally everything about himself to fit in with what the other gods and the deities want, you know, their idealized version or maybe just his idealized version of what he thinks they want. And when he presents himself, he's like, I am seven foot tall. I am Chris Hemsworth-like, and I am here with my shoes, and I am ready to be taken seriously, damn it. They look at him, and they're like, you're still a monkey. And that part always hit me like a truck. It always... um, it it always really affected me in that way that no matter how much you cops come to get me sorry um <laughs> it's the oversharing police uh <laughs> no matter how much you change about yourself or how much you outwardly you know shift to try and fit into boxes to try and fit into what you think other people want at the end of the day it's still you And you are made up of your culture, your life experiences. Everything that you are is everything that was put in to build you. And the moment that he is trapped into the rubble, our favorite monk boy is being tortured by these two Oni. And he's just like well obviously i'm not going to help him because that would mean giving up my brand new bod and like dallas like you said he looks at the monk and he said he looks at him he's just gotten like viciously impaled which i was not prepared for the first time reading this book i'm like we're talking impalement in this book he was very calm about it. Yeah, he's just, he's just like, oh well, this might as well happen. <laughs> and as he's being like put up on this pike, he says, you know, so is your true identity the supper the supper of two demons? And the monk says, perhaps is yours the eternal prisoner of a mountain of rock. And that always hit me really hard in this idea that. To be comfortable with yourself is to cause discomfort sometimes in other people. And what are you willing to put up with to be true to yourself? This monk, for all the things, all his faults, all his... And the way you described it, his very Clark Kent-isms, was willing to, you know go through all of this because he was still being true to himself and true to the things that he believed in. And like you said, that forced a change in the monkey kid. And so we see him get back to his fun little monkey body, shrinks back down, kicks all kinds of ass, absolutely just demolishes these two demons. And then when the two of them, you know, meet and he's like you are going to come with me on this amazing journey but where we're going we don't need shoes it was giving the monkey king permission to be himself as he was and like you said you know we all just need one person 
to accept us for who we are. And that makes a world of difference. And that sets us on a completely different path from where we would be without that person. And it hits me that image, that specific image of them walking off in the distance, leaving the shoes behind, leaving behind this idea of I have to fit into somebody else's shoes and I'm free to be myself always sticks with me. And it's one of my favorite images in the entire book. I also love that it was what you brought up. The monk helped the monkey King by being the monk. By not wearing the shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't some big, great speech to the Monkey King about his need to accept himself. The Monkey King, it was just a simple challenge of like, I am being myself. Are you really not going to be yourself? And I think sometimes we underestimate the impact that just being yourself can have. Like it brings you joy, but it also gives the people around you the willingness and the strength to be themselves as well. Yeah. And I, I love that this book touches on that. There's so much truth crammed in to <laughs> such a tight package <laughs> in this book. Yeah. It's- and just, I was looking up at the, like um, the origins of the comic and Jeannie Lauren Yang is just talking about how like, Hey, this was when I started this, this was just a Xerox comic that I do yeah. like 10 pages at a time and staple myself and take to my local comic shop. And now people are still talking about it. 15 years later, it's insane. And you can, I, I can absolutely see I've, I've met him a couple times and I could absolutely see just him with his Xerox copies. Like, look guys, I need you to read this book. Cause it is going to change so many lives right now. They're like, yeah, kid. All right, come on. Like it's th- there's so much earnest energy in this story. Like there's nothing played here with cynicism which I really mm-hmm. love because it's an earnest book filled with cynical characters and them learning the flaw of cynicism in their own story. Like you see all these people trying to fit into their boxes when, when Jin gives himself the, the fro because he's like, this girl obviously likes dudes with froze. And so I need to also change my hair and that will be the key to this future that I have envisioned for us. Like they're all trying to fit into these boxes that they make themselves based on their interactions with other people and them being able to grow out of that, to be able to say, I may not have a great time all the time, but I would rather do that than pretend to have a good time as somebody else. What do we think of Wei Che's son, the the little friend? Because I love him, and <laughs> I so love sad. I love how often the book tells you what Jin purposely doesn't do, so that people won't know that he's Asian, and we just get to see Wei Che's son do all those things, right? Yeah. Like it's a real Chekhov's guns. Like these are all the signposts of my being Asian that I have to avoid at all times. And then you get to see the tension of someone else doing all those things and still living a happy, fulfilled life. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Well, that's what makes it so funny that if you're reading this for the first time, you know, you don't realize that the story of Jin and Danny is the same story because they are literally the same story. Danny is trying to deal with his crazy cousin, Chin Ki, while Jin is trying to suppress his friend who represents all of the things that he is trying to stay away from. And it's that really clever narrative of i'm going to present you with two stories that are the exact same story and are actually one story and i remember mm-hmm. the first time when it's revealed that you know jin makes that that deal to give his soul up to become danny that i i remember setting this down and going i need to walk around the house for a second because this mm. all of the intricacies in that and of him looking at you know this kid who represents all of the stuff that he represented you know they have that really parallel um that parallel introduction where they're both being introduced to their class both of their names are mispronounced both of them are like and he's coming all the way from china and jen's like i'm i was i was born in san francisco and we are coming here from San Francisco. <laughs> and his friend is like, I was born in Taiwan. I am not Chinese, but thank you for that. And it's, again, it's one of those things that like as an Asian American, like what, when I was a little kid, I remember, and again, this is the oversharing episode, so we're oversharing. Um, I remember I had this same bowl cut that Jin had. And I was bullied relentless. I remember very specifically, it was in third grade, I was bullied relentlessly as the China boy. And I was incredibly confused by this because I'm like, wait a second, Filipino, you know, that, wait, is Filipino another word for Chinese? Like, because I'm a, I'm a kid and I don't know these things. And when you're dealing with ignorance who are, you know, actively trying not to learn those things it could be very confusing as a child and so having that having that introduction to him having you know their bonding moment over the robot it's like my robot turns into a monkey which should have been a sign it's incredibly clever writing (laughs) it's like him representing this corruption of the ideal right he starts off he is this emissary for his father sent down to try and learn what it means to be a human being and having him you know start off as this character who Wei Chen is very um he's very specifically what I think a general populace especially at the time that Gene was writing this story would look at and say yeah that's an Asian kid and the friendship that blossoms between Wei Chen and Jin while Jin is in with every fiber of his being trying to run as far away from Wei Chen who could not view him as a better friend is heartbreaking because there's that moment where Wei Chen is in the um, locked in the uh, in, in the closet with mm-hmm. Susie, I believe is her name. And he's just sitting there. He's like, I didn't have any friends. And when, you know, I got here, I didn't think I was going to have any friends. And 
yeah, I think, you know, Jin kind of makes fun of me and I think he's ashamed of me sometimes, but he lets me be me. And that's all I could ask for. And while Jin is desperately searching for his his monk, he is being the monk for Wei Chen until it all falls apart. And yeah, he's he's a great character. And him rolling up at the end when he rolls up to the, the <laughs> oh boba shop, gosh. I'm like, I know that guy. I know him. It's 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 a beautiful story about him, you know, losing faith and regaining faith. And the little snapshot at the end where it's just the two of them, you know, and there's no dialogue. It's meant to be like it's meant to be like y'all remember Lilo and Stitch, the actual Lilo and Stitch. That was a real movie that happened and shouldn't be. Anyway, uh, the the ending credits where it's showing like their snapshot adventures while they're going mm-hmm. through the polaro- Polaroids. It's that little image at the end of Wei Chen and Jin just being like, yeah, just living their lives and accepting each other. That like the perfect cherry on top of the Sunday. I hope I can be the friend that makes you feel mostly good, but a little bit bad about yourself. I hope I can be that for both of you. You know, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, Dallas. You already are. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's my goal. <laughs> 10 out of 10, no notes. Keep it I up. I want you to be locked in a closet and be like, he's mostly a great friend, even if he does make me feel a little bit othered all the time. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to bring that gin friendship. And you know what? The second I get locked into a closet with someone else, I will tell them that exact mm-hmm. story. I'll be like, you know what? He may be cis, he may be straight, but you know what? <laughs> he does make me feel bad about myself. <laughs> he brings me on that little podcast just to make fun of me for liking Star Wars Rebels, but I do it every week, every single week. Well, hey, guess what? What? Now you're the minority, Dallas, because I also <gasps> love Star Wars Rebels. Hell yeah. People a taste on this podcast. Finally, it's about freaking time. I tell you what. Are we saying I get to be a minority mm. on the American Born Chinese episode? Just for this very specific instance? <laughs> you, wait, wait. You're not allowed get... to put that in the episode description. For this, for this very specific 30 seconds of time on this American very Born specific Chinese. podcast. Dallas yeah. learns what it is to be a minority. <laughs> it's a very this special week. episode. And at the end we go, you know, we've all had a lot of fun here. But let's talk for a moment. <laughs> About discrimination how hard it is to be a white guy. <laughs> you know who's had it really tough for the longest time? Cis it's white men. In- <laughs> it's been incredibly hard six minutes. <laughs> We've had a lot of fun today, but I really want to talk to you about all the struggles that Dallas goes through on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to be at that job he's not qualified for? <laughs> he's in way over his head. <laughs> you know what if there's if nothing else comes out of this episode i'm glad that i was able to give you that minority experience Alex. <laughs> thank you that, that is thank that you. is what you brought me specifically on to this show for and i respect that <laughs> you have to take a couple minutes and walk in someone else's shoes before and... taking them off and abandoning them shoes. yeah exactly my, my little monkey paws yeah, I take the shoes off and they're still just shoe treads because I've been making everyone else walk How in does my he do shoes. That? 
specifically Nikes. You're like, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Damn. Anyway. Man, are those the Pegasus 40s? Nice. <laughs> <sighs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, man. We got to talk comic books and Nike. This really is an Asian American <laughs> podcast made specifically for me. <laughs> This is Eric's very special episode. <laughs> Look, we we've had a lot of fun here. <laughs> and I want to talk to you about your only friend who's Asian American running a podcast. It's me. <laughs> Hi, I'm the Asian. It's me. And I want to speak to you. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> oh, my God. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, center. Um, yeah, so I lost my mind too when I found out this was one story. I said, wow, out loud. And I think I powered through the rest of this book in like five minutes. I'm like, that was the best thing I've ever read. That was beautiful. It's amazing. Like, and specifically that page of him turning from Jin into Danny. It's such like a whoa. I'm like, you, all, all those immortal Hulk covers where they were like shifting someone from their civilian identity into uh their hulk identity that was what this it was, was like an animorphs cover yes yes <laughs> i don't know how to feel about that but yes exactly yes. that the strangest animorphs cover of all <laughs> that's the one they don't reprint anymore hate that is the animorphs from white boy to asian boy <laughs> They no. say, we lost the thread on that one a little bit. Like, they're like, look, there have been a lot of things that we've done as an Animorphs <laughs> franchise. I feel like this is one we can't come back from. Why can't I get the complete set? Where's number 46? It's never getting reprinted. It's, no. <laughs> they just sell you a copy of American Porn Chinese. They're like, put that right there. There's your 46. Put it right there in the slot. We put 46 on the spine for you. Just wrote it in pen. Not even Sharpie. <laughs> just like really scraggly pen. It's like crooked. The six is halfway off. Yeah. <laughs> so remember, oh. remember, listener, when you when you get a fair amount through your Animorphs reread, make sure to slot this in right in the middle so that the narrative makes sense. It's not going to make it. It's like these Disney plus shows. Like you have to make sure you read American born Chinese in the middle of Animorphs. So the whole narrative isn't going to make sense for you. American born Chinese brings a real Boba Fett energy (laughs) to the Animorphs. The the Animorphs cinematic universe. (laughs) (laughs) Now, wait a second. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the monk. I'm pretty sure the monk left the monkey king at the end of last season. Why does he suddenly have no, no, him no, no. again? That was that was the sea snail book. The sea. You're right. That, You're... You got to go back to that one. But he wasn't even the star the... of the sea snail book. No, be... but he is in the snow leopard book. God, you're right. You're so right. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, they they get crossed over so often. There's a writer change, and it gets it gets really funky. Dang. No, actually, they got one writer that came into the Animorphs that was like, "Have you guys all watched my Animorphs cartoons? Because otherwise, you're gonna be really lost. You're gonna be really lost." I was really excited for the Animorphs TV show specific character to show up in the books, and when they didn't, I got mad. 
<laughs> Who's the glup shit out of the Animorphs universe? I need to, no, I can't. All of them. Somehow still Name Cal me Catholic one is. Animorph. <laughs> Name me one Animorph. There's got to be one Animorph named Glup Shido. Is there not? <laughs> I'm sure. That's the <laughs> one that turns into the flying fish. <laughs> <laughs> Listener, if you if you can't if when you hear this Tag tag all three of us and give us the name of your favorite Animorph without looking it up. And I will mm-hmm. personally give you a no prize on my podcast. Outstanding. That is a Geeksplained promise. Eric's handing out a lot yeah. of things this episode. Oh, yeah. He's handing out a no prize. He's letting me be a minority for 30 seconds. Only for 30 seconds, though. You only get 30 seconds a year. Mm-hmm. Can I check? Can I cash it, it in at my leisure? No, I have to be involved somehow. Okay. <laughs> I get to decide Eric. when you get that. He has hey, Eric, to activate can I explain it. my situation real quick? <laughs> Eric, I'm about to go to Koreatown. Can I please, can I please use my 30 seconds of allotment? Please. Like Dallas, it was American-born Chinese. Damn, you're right. Sorry. Damn it. <laughs> You're just gonna have to wait till next year for that trip. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for this for this beautiful gift. <sighs> what do we think of Jean Luen Yang's art style? Because I love it. I love the panel structure so in the middle of these pages. I I was talking with Eric about this off mic. I'm a very big Jean Luen Yang fan. I am a massive Gene Luen Yang doing art and writing. Yeah. He does Mm -hmm. such a great job with his visual storytelling, with his character designs. And there's just, there's just a heart that goes into the all Gene Luen Yang all the time projects. You know, like this, Boxers and Saints and Dragon Hoops are comics that are in constant rotation for me. Well, and it's it's very much like another incredible writer artist, uh, Daniel Warren Johnson. There's some, mm-hmm. there is a really nice uh, nexus point of being able to both write and illustrate your own story because you are in control for the mm-hmm. entire process. And even though you know comics are often a collaborative effort, there's something special about someone who can get you a creator that can do both like mm-hmm. there his his art is also very specifically him which i love uh all of his books even though they don't all look the same you can kind of see his art progression over the course of reading these books it's all very much still his style and it's a style that's perfect for the story i think yes especially everything I'm, i think it's really smart to start with the story of the monkey king because it instantly wins you over with just how charming it is it is perfection and um it makes a really fanciful um legendary like legend story into something that's palatable and easy to follow easy to understand it makes it something that's easily digestible and it continues throughout the entire story and i think keeping that art style the same through all of them also helps when some of the fanciful stuff starts invading the other two stories later on as they start to tie into one and it makes all of it come together at the end i think it's i think it's perfect i it's so fun 
I think something that's really cool about creators who do both art and the writing is something that comics are great at, if you know how to do it, is keeping the story in an active voice, right? You don't have to give any, and the character did this, and this happened to them narration that is so hard to keep present and exciting and moving in prose. Mm -hmm. And older comics through that advantage, just right out the door with the crazy caption boxes, which can be fun, but also sometimes you're like, you've got this thing that no one else does where you don't have to switch into a passive voice to describe. And Jean Wen Yang understands that. So everything that's happening, whether it's this old myth, this these two concurrent stories, it all feels like it's happening right there. You're right in the action the entire time. And it's just, he knows when to show you. He knows when to let dialogue be punchy. And I think the real testament to Jin Wen Yang as an artist is the fact that you can remove the words and understand the story, right? Like these panels are evocative enough that you get all the big reveals just through the visuals. And it's really great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And... And you brought up an excellent point in that starting off the story with the Monkey King's more fantastical visuals gives those moments when they kind of bleed into Jin and Danny's stories. Like, I love the the little, like, crackle lightning that comes off of Jin whenever, like, Mm -hmm. he is challenged or whenever he has to, you know, steal himself or something. And... Also, the way that they, uh, or the way that uh, Jean Lun Yang draws this afro that he makes for him, like clouds, and having the mm-hmm. lightning shooting out of the clouds, it's so. It's not like cartoony, as in like, oh, it's cartoony and it looks silly. It's cartoony in a way that helps to translate all of the really zany stuff that mm-hmm. we would see in our normal lives. Like we experience things and we also like blow them up to mythical proportions, depending on our perspective. Yeah. I think it also really helps highlight the, like the uncomfortable nature of the cousin character and just highlighting those really stereotypical cartoonish tropes. And that's actually one of the points that I saw in an interview that Jean Luen Yang wished he had done even a little, like he'd steered into it a little more because he had people come up to him at like conventions and be like, by the way, do you have the cousin on like a shirt or something? Because he's like kind of adorable. And he's like, oh, you completely missed the point. Yep. (laughs) You completely missed the point. Yeah. Oh no. But I think that's, it's, it's interesting where it's like, he still feels like he fits in the style, but he's so out of place. He's so out of place in every single um, page. It's like, he he hurts me to look at because I'm like, he should not be in this world. And I think that was that was wonderful to be able to have that design that feels like it's it's here, but it shouldn't be. Yeah. I think something as well that if you've read Jean Luen Yang's work at DC, he loves to play with comic book form. He love, there's the Choose yeah. Your Own Adventure epi- issue of The Terrifics, one of the best issues of comics ever. So good. And you can see that early here with the monkey prince escaping his panel to then mm-hmm. go out into the white void where the five pillars of creation are. And it was just, it's so fun being a huge fan of 
Gene Yang's work to be like, you started from the beginning, right at the beginning, you understood how to play with this form to tell your story. It was great. And you see the evolution of that in a lot of his work, like as he's gone on to do like more work for hire stuff for the big two, all of his stories and all of his runs in both those companies, the heart of that is the heart of this story. And that's, you know, Dallas and I were, were talking off mic and I was saying like, for me, there isn't like a huge delineation between his creator own stuff and his you know, his work for hire stuff, obviously there are very different realms of storytelling, but it's all the same. It's all a story about identity and choosing to love yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's whether he's writing Shang-Chi, that's whether he's writing Superman, like it's all one story. And that's something that I love about all of his work. Absolutely. Do we have any final thoughts about American born Chinese before we talk a little bit about our hopes, dreams and trepidations going into the American born Chinese show that again debuts today as you're listening to this. I think my final thoughts are just go read this, go read Mm -hmm. it again, go read it a fourth time and a fifth time. Um, I, when, when Dallas asked me if I wanted to come on the show and talk about this, I'm like, yeah, I want to talk about this all the time. Let's do this. Like I, I, I love this comic so much and it's a story that is personal to me. It's a story that's personal to all of us. And again, Mm -hmm. we, we, all three of us come from very different backgrounds, very different life experiences, but we all are impacted by this story. And that's what makes this so special because it's not just about an Asian kid growing up in America, it's about someone learning to love themselves. And that's a story that we can all relate to and a story that we can all enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. Just going to second that. Go read it. If you don't think it, you'll relate to it, trust me, you will. There's so many bits here that we didn't get to cover that we didn't get to talk about, especially about just Jin's like actual life, life with his friends and at school there's so much here that you'll find that I'm sure that you'll relate to. And it's, it's just a wonderfully constructed story that I'm realizing more and more as the, um, the minutes in this conversation go on that I need to go back and give it another look. So I can make sure I see how everything ties together because there's so much that I, you definitely will miss on the first time because you're not looking for it. Absolutely. I love the quote on the front of the book from the New York Times. They say, Jean Luen Yang has created that rare article, a youthful tale with something new to say about American youth. I feel like the coming of age story is an incredibly common story told in American comics, American movies, American television. And I can genuinely say that this brings something new to the that well-trod path. I, and I think that's something new is an incredible depth of heart and a really bright start to an impeccable career. If you love Jin Luen Yang's recent Shang-Chi work, I know a lot of people really liked that. And you haven't gone back and read American Born Chinese. If you loved his work on Batman and Superman, which was also great. And you haven't checked out Dragon Hoops. You got to check out Dragon Hoops. Boxers and Saints, I feel like, gets slept on a little bit, but it's brilliant as well. 
Like this guy does not miss. He loves comic books. He is a certified genius, which is pretty fun. He got the genius grant. There's this great interview with him where he talks about receiving that genius grant. It's like the person in front of me stood up and talked about how they brought back their the language of their ancestors from extinction through research. And then I got up and talked about Superman. And then the person <laughs> after me got up and talked about their work towards cold fusion. And he's like, I kind of sat there like, yeah, okay. He gets it. <laughs> it sounds to me like the people that were before and after him were woefully underqualified. Personally. Oh, yeah. I See, you agree. get it. um so the show are we going to be watching it are we excited for it is it on our radars at all 100 percent, 100 percent. i'm i'm very interested to see because i've seen and i i was at a panel recently at a at wondercon where he spoke about the changes that were made to the story because it everything that i've seen from it it looks to be a very different story from the book, Mm -hmm. which I'm obviously worried about because this is a very personal story, but I have faith in the creative team. I have faith in this absolutely stacked cast. Like it's incredible. I it's, it's reuniting our big three, Michelle Yeoh, Kia Kwan, Stephanie Hsu, which I am going to be mad about forever. Didn't win the Mm -hmm. Oscar. Um, I'm ready mm-hmm. for all three of them to get Emmys off of this. We're gonna we're gonna make it happen. Um, it's it's looking to be a very different story about more. I mean, I guess Jin is going to be more actively involved in the mythology aspect, which is interesting. Um, I just hope and I do trust in the you know the team behind it that they will continue to make it a story about self-love, about acceptance. And I'm I'm really excited for some some kick-ass fight sequences as well. Cause I mean this the the short fight sequences that we got in the comic were really fun and I hope they build off of that. Do you know how involved Gene was in the creation of the show? At the ground level, from what I understand. Oh word. Um, okay. okay. Because this is obviously his property. Um, so he's been there from the beginning and been part of it. Um, obviously, the uh, he's not the showrunner because they have all kinds of people working on it. But you've got tons of people involved um, bringing back uh, Dustin Daniel Cretton, who directed Shang-Chi, is directing a lot of the show. Um so I'm I'm really excited to see how much they pull. Me too. Alexis just texted me and she wants to know if we think the show will get the comic in people's hands or if it'll be like a weird disconnect. Because some creator owned comics like really take off because of shows and then others just never do. Do we think this is one that people will end up going and checking out the comic? I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, w- I would think so. Cause a lot of times when you see an adaptation take off and the comic doesn't, um, it's oftentimes because 
maybe the adaptation made some improvements on the comic everyone don't go read the boys just watch the boys <laughs> um, but i i think there's there's so much heart in this story it's a timeless story that i don't think would be alien alienating to anyone and we have seen recently a lot of push, especially with like more comic based adaptations. Like you like this trailer, go check out the comics that inspired it. Whether that's accurate or not is whoever's guess. But (laughs) the fact that they're featuring like, Hey, go read comics. Like I think is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was so, so um, great to see after that DC slate reveal, just all those books just sell out instantly especially a book like supergirl woman of tomorrow that was especially wonderful to see it's like been telling you been telling you for 10 damn years been telling you but it's it depends i really want disney to keep that up where they're pushing the comics just as much as dc and warner brothers are because comics as a medium are just so hard to get into and i think it's most of the time people just don't know what to look for where to look as long as they give them the actual name of the comic, it should be pretty simple. And I think American Born Chinese, a single book, a single comic, I think this one will be one that's really easily accessible. And people love the show, they will check out the book. Something I thought was super interesting, they released a show tie-in cover printing yeah. of American Born Chinese. I was not sure how I felt about it i love the original cover Same. so i was a little bit like thank goodness i have the original cover <laughs> but yeah. if that gets people to go and be like oh i loved that show i'll check it out mm-hmm. i mean all i want is this comic in more people's hands yeah Same. because Same. like we said it it's a comic that encompasses so much of the human experience right. i i would dare anyone to read this and not see a little bit of themselves in the story at some point because oh, we've yeah. all wrestled with self-acceptance. We've all wrestled with w- how we want to wear our life, our identity. And it's a great piece of art. Yeah. And and many of us are still going through that. It's, <laughs> it's a never-ending battle of self-love. That's, mm-hmm. that's something you that You two doesn't... haven't nailed that down yet? No, we're not cis white yeah. men, Dallas. Buddy, yeah, out, you should have activated that card right there. Damn, that would have been the time. That would have been the time. Now you have See, to cash in. You can't even understand when to activate the card. This is why you need the card. <laughs> Damn it. No, but I, I, do, I do think that that idea of, you know, doing the TV show tie-in cover it's worked for novels in the past. I mean, mm-hmm. Lord knows how many Twilight books they sold by just putting Rob Patton, Bat and Bat and Taylor really nice chest on the cover, <laughs> like sold so many of those books. Listen, if you put Hawaiian oh roll God. abs on a cover, it will sell. <laughs> Taylor, really nice chest. I'm not going to get that out of my head. <laughs> Say, Am I listen, wrong? No, I mean... For some, if you're not invested in a series already, movie tie-in covers can do a lot. I have a yeah. copy of the fucking Meg from back in like 2007 because <laughs> that movie's been in development hell for like 15 years before it ever came out. 
Oh, the Meg. has a picture of the shark eating the fucking T-Rex saying soon to be a major motion picture. And they didn't even put that goddamn scene in the movie. The shark eats a dinosaur in the book and it's not in the movie. Wait, so movie. That doesn't Wait, so- line up at all. And so what you're saying is that the Meg took 15 years to make just like the best DC movie of all time, Black Adam, right? Similar results, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Okay, cool. There we go. On the same page. Yeah, we got that. Balance of power at the box office is about to change. Meg two coming up this summer. Not even a poster yet. Slotted to come out in a month. Movie of the year. Movie of the year. Meg two, baby. Is that a real thing? Is it's, that coming? That's out? a real thing. No, it's not. Excuse they you. Made a it's called one? Meg two the trench. There's like six books. The <laughs> trench. Like, yes. Wait. So. So you got to be secretly... super into that, right? You got to be Listen, super into that movie. I read all the Meg books. Um, <laughs> I was really into those books in middle school and high school. They haven't aged great, but I'm telling you, if the trench does goes the well, say a, does the shark say a slur? What do you mean it didn't age well? <laughs> the characters are not written well. Does Momoa the show up? The scenes are all in... fine. I mean, I would hope so. Listen. If we get through the trench, we're going to get to Primal Waters next, which is really great because it's about an Australian <laughs> game show that follows around the Meg. And just Australians get fed to the Meg just by doing stupid daredevil shit. It's going to be the greatest thing you've ever seen in your entire life. They say, holy guacamole. And then they flip a motorcycle into the Meg's mm-hmm. mouth. Yeah, I, I can't That's believe that, that movie came out and did not go as hard as the book. They like they up Jonas Taylor from like just this regular guy to freaking Jason Statham. And there's a scene in the first book where he kills the shark by literally cutting its heart out because he's inside it and he crawls through it to cut its heart out. And somehow they're like, you know, Jason, I don't think Jason Statham can do that. Just just ram a sub into it or something. I don't care. I'm very invested in the Meg Cinematic Universe. Thank you very much. Are, are we going to see Jason Momoa in full Aquaman garb in the post-credit scenes of two showing up to Jason Statham and being like, I'm here to talk <laughs> about the Trench Initiative. Like, we need to, we need, we need to unite the seven. That's the seven. actually, that's Fast X Part 2. Meg joins the family. <laughs> Tell me you would not pay I, to see Aquaman riding a Megalodon, though. I'm, I'm not convinced that he isn't it, he isn't doing that in Fast 10. We see Jason Moa in the water. How does he get out of that water? <laughs> Who's to say? We don't know for sure. All well, I know Captain is Captain Marvel's in the movie, so she's obviously going to swoop down and pull him out. She only rescues heroes, and Okay, that's he's true. He's the bad guy of the film. He'll be part of the family by the end. He will. Mark my word. I, or at least by the next know, movie. Speaking of Jason Statham, can I just for a second? Because I, those Fast and Furious movies are an obsession for me. I will never, ever forgive that series for forgiving Jason Statham for killing Han. Look, I know Han's back alive again, but bringing him to the barbecue has always been a mistake. That's just what it is. Nope. You're right. You're absolutely right. You've lost the girlies. Anne and I are sitting over here like, damn, let him go off. Neither of us know what this means. I remember I remember Han, he died. I couldn't tell you which movie he died in, but he died. But then he didn't die. He undied. He alive. He was alive, then he unalived, and then he un unalived. You are correct. And now he's that ha- that happened in chronological order in Fast and yeah. Furious Tokyo Drift. Uh mm-hmm. also the post credit scene of uh of Fast Six, um, mm-hmm. which is 
the sixth movie, obviously, and yes. then was brought back most recently in F9, The Fast Saga. And if you would like the Comics Collective to do a Fast and Furious episode, <laughs> you get in the comments, get on Twitter, tag them and let them know that for Fast X, it's all about family. That's a, that's a long marathon. That's what I should do with my next week. I should just watch all those movies all the way you through. You should. Especially because Tokyo Drift is furiously step, slept on. It needs more recognition. <laughs> it's the most fast and furious. I covered this on the podcast. I did it's an episode the most on my podcast. And the most furious, damn it. On a scale rating fast and furious for each of those films, it scored the highest. Okay. I remember that episode of your I show. I did the maths then- on this. <laughs> And then I watched a TikTok where they pointed out that every Fast and Furious movie has a different naming convention, and it killed me. It made me laugh so hard. (laughs) Every single one has a different naming convention, and they're keeping it up with Fast X. First time we've introduced Roman numerals, baby. Oh, yeah. And then Fast X Part 2 for the 11th movie. Fully insane title. I love it. Wait, Commit that's actually th- that's actually the title for the eleventh movie. Fast yes. yes. Oh my god, we're going oh full god. Dark Phoenix saga on this. Okay, it's like <laughs> Dune, baby. <laughs> I still need to watch Dune. Wait you, till the the, second... the movie hasn't finished yet. Wait until it finishes, and then Got watch it. the whole thing. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. I'll do that. Yeah. This is somehow the third time I've pitched Dune this weekend, but <laughs> Eric Dune. Okay. The thesis of Dune is that there is an amount of cocaine that will make <laughs> anyone religious. Now you've got me interested. So picture this. It's Tatooine but cooler. It's named Arrakis. This okay. porked up shardy named Paul in a sci-fi world. <laughs> a fucking in a sci-fi world. Get over th- Luke. How, how do you Luke. His name you is Luke not Paul. His name, his name Paul. is not Paul. His name is Paul. Anarakis. What's everyone? His title is, it... is Muadib, and his name is Paul. That's not his. <laughs> It'll be like Muadib <laughs> isn't his name. It's okay. Paul. You'll have like a Stilgar. There's a Chani. There's a Gaius. But then, hey, there's Duncan. Yeah. Duncan? Picture this. Picture this. <laughs> McLeod? Duncan, Idaho. That's not his name. That's, <laughs> name. that's not his. That's a straight. <laughs> that's a Magic Mike name. Duncan, Idaho <laughs> is a Magic Mike name. That's not he's a real name. He's played by Jason in- Momoa in the new No, one. he's not. Yes, he is. Jason Duncan Momoa I- is Duncan, Idaho. No. <laughs> It's a perfect movie. And so Paul goes out into the desert and he's like, damn, Zendaya is hot. And she says, would you like to do these drugs? And he goes, yeah. And he does them and they ride some worms and then they commit genocide. And that's Dune, folks. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Smurf. That That took a very sharp turn from... Magic Mike Triple XL Duncan Idaho Boogaloo. <clears throat> well, into yeah. well, that's the third book is Duncan Idaho Boogaloo. Okay, got it. Got it. But I have to go through two books to get to the Duncan I- Idaho Boogaloo. Yeah, what the Duncan Idaho spinoff series on Disney Plus? I don't know how that's surprising. <laughs> Featuring a guy Hobbs named Paul. 
from a guy named Paul, there's only two things you can do, and genocide's one of them. True. I don't know what the second one is yet. I haven't seen a Paul do anything different. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out I'm to sorry. all the Pauls in our life, whether your sorry, name is Pauls. Paul or not. Pauls, hit us up in the comments. What do you do with your life? Yeah, what, genocide? <laughs> what's the second thing, Pauls? <laughs> what is the, the second first. thing that you do? How what do you fill the up the, the back half of your day? What do you... They say, just Paul things. Just Paul things. <laughs> Hashtag just Paul things. And then a giant to do list. Genocide. Just Paul things. Dude part two. Just Paul things. Parentheses. Oh, that's just more genocide. From the people that brought you genocide. Just Paul things. Just Paul things. Coming to Max. (laughs) Somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this. I hope he comes back and everyone's like, somehow Paul returns. <laughs> he comes in on the worm. <laughs> oh. oh, we can't cut any of that. <laughs> that has to stay. All right, let's... Duncan Idaho's like, on your left. And he Did comes in any... riding the Meg. Oh my god. <laughs> And the Meg is driving the Top Gun Maverick plane. <laughs> and the plane is voiced by Glenn Powell. That's <laughs> And the plane has eyes like the Cars universe. <laughs> Ka-chow. <laughs> and it's secretly Planes 3. Directed by Martin Scorsese. Was second Planes? I'm sure there was. <laughs> It actually starred Duncan Idaho. (laughs) (laughs) Duncan Idaho's got big Kachuga energy, if you know what I mean. To have that name, you have to. (laughs) You can't just walk around and be Duncan Idaho from IT. Like, you have to have big Chad energy. It's the greatest name. No, if you'd asked me, like, what franchise is Duncan Idaho from, I would have said Cars a thousand years before I said Dune. Definitely. Definitely. A thousand, yeah. I would envision him in Fast and Furious. I want Duncan to envision Idaho. him in Fast and Furious. Paul and Duncan Idaho, come on over mm. to the family. Let him <laughs> into the barbecue. That's my multiverse of madness. <laughs> Where, hey, Vin, let the worms to the barbecue. Let them in. No, They've my, got my the spice. killed by worms. <laughs> You've just got Vin Diesel with a handful of spice. <laughs> Comes up with the bright blue eyes, ready to ride a worm. <laughs> In Fast Eleven Part One, which is actually the twelfth movie, the number one rule of a street fight: the street always wins. And a giant worm comes out of the road, out of at the cars. Wait, which which race gets the worms in Race Wars? <laughs> We don't talk about race wars. Okay, <laughs> there's been enough race wars. <laughs> I remember watching that movie for the first time. They're like, we're going to go to Race Wars. And I went, what a funny name for races. And they showed up and I went, what? And of course, we bring this in on the American-born Chinese episode. We got to mm-hmm. talk about Race Wars. Did did we get any actual questions for this comic? We did not. So we've been having a silly, goofy time. Listen, viewer, this is what happens when you don't send us shit. You need to send us talks about race wars <laughs> and genocide <laughs> and Paul. <laughs> and 
No one wants Paul. <laughs> no one wants Paul. Oh, God. The best part about Paul is that George Lucas said, what if I take Paul and I put him in the Chanel boots and give him a green laser sword? <laughs> yes. And they made billions. <laughs> what if I named him after myself and put him in the Chanel go-go boots? <laughs> I saw yours. <laughs> George Lucas said, Duncan, Idaho, more like Han Solo. Paul, let's put him in the LGBTQ community. Luke Skywalker. (laughs) It rhymes. It rhymes. You have to do the hamburger fingers, or else it doesn't sound right. It rhymes. It rhymes. Like, you can't say it without doing that. (laughs) There's no P. There is no Paul in the LGBTQ community. (laughs) I just, it's like my Paul is, de- Paul is decidedly not an ally. <laughs> he says, I'd do just about anything but support Luke Skywalker and the LGBTQ community. He's standing on the side with his own Paul Pride flag. He's like, <laughs> Paul Pride. It's just bright blue with Duncan Idaho next to him and a worm on the flag. He's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta end. We gotta end this. <laughs> Should we start reading the notes? No, we gotta let Eric plug his stuff. Eric, yes. talk to the people. Plug my stuff. Um, Eric well, Idaho, I am... go ahead. <laughs> I am now Eric Idaho. Um, yeah, so if you if you want more of this, then uh head on over to geeks plain uh we're on all the uh all the podcasting stuff uh, and currently when this is comes out we are in we are in the middle of x may baby uh x may is the uh y- is the yearly tradition where i dedicate all of the month of may to the x-men and i love it and I hope that if you are listening to it right now, you are also loving it because it was a ton of fun. Um, I do episodes on Wednesdays. It's usually me or me and a guest. On Fridays, we do the Geek Explained Book Club where I and my merry, amazing friends, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, shout out to them, are uh, currently, let's see. If this is coming out when I think it's coming out, this Friday, in fact, yes, is the finale of our Grant Morrison Batman season. So check it out. It's been a hell of a ride. Um, We've loved diving into their work. And um, yeah, Uh, like I said, if you want to follow us at Geek Explained Pod is the place to do it at Geek Explained P.O.D. on Instagram and Twitter for as long as Twitter is around. And as I continue to figure out how to work with Instagram. Because I am an old man and I am social media literate. So I'm learning about how to do Instagram correctly. So join me, won't you? It's a ton of fun. And I talk a lot about Fast and Furious and how it's criminally underrated. And you guys just don't understand. Well, awesome. I'm definitely going to come over for the Batman stuff because I need someone smart to tell me how to feel about this this run. I... I <laughs> I like incorporated, <laughs> but everything that happened before, I'm like, I have no idea what I just fucking read. I'm in that stage. Of if, Grant if you're looking for someone smart to explain that, we are not the people for you to Actually. come to. Every Friday, oh. it's just us going, wow, this is really fun. <laughs> well, it might help anyway. 
<laughs> we bring a real Duncan Idaho energy to Grant Morrison's Batman. <laughs> you know, as long as you don't bring a Paul energy to Grant Morrison's Batman, we're straight. We're square. There are strictly no Pauls allowed in Grant Morrison's <laughs> Batman. if you like the show and want to hear more from us through the week please go follow our twitter account at cmx collective or our tiktok account at the comics collective or you can find each of us at dallas underscore comics at and comics and at lexi lou underscore comics if you enjoyed the show and want to show your support please go to apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review and we will read it off on the show and finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. This is a threat. If you don't do it, we will have to talk about Paul again, and no one wants that. <laughs> We're pulling Timmy Chalamet back out. Dragging Wait, and kicking no. and screaming. That's Timmy Chalamet Paul. is Paul? He He's has Paul. such Paul energy. Yeah. Can I just talk about how much he has Paul energy? Please. Like, that makes all the sense in the world. Can I tell you that he brought an std to nyu campus last summer and it was one of the funniest things that happened in new york no was people tracing back the fact that they had gotten the clap from timmy chalamet <laughs> that's it was the, the second thing to do it was the talk of the town that's it was, it was you're paul right things. it's just paul things it's the paul it's just paul things. you know what i met him once working on a set and that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. Just Paul things. Just Paul things, you know? <laughs> we will see you next week for our episode covering the second part of Jonathan Hickman's Avengers Run. Yes. So if you have been along for our Johnny Hicks time, it Johnny is Hicks. now... Avengers 6 through 17 and New Avengers number 7. So decidedly less genocide than the first episode mm-hmm. in the second one. A lot less Paul energy. For sure. Paul Listen, it's a real Duncan Idaho it's, kind of episode. It's going to be really messed up for people when we make Paul references in the Avengers episode that came out really three weeks ago. <laughs> I, I need. I really need you to every every Johnny Hicks episode rate it how many Pauls out of five for the amount of genocide and other Paul things. Well, that's that happened in that vault. When you read Dune, all of a sudden you're like, "This is where every Jonathan Hickman idea that's ever been had came from." It's all just been Dune over and over. Every time you're like, oh, "Is that a bad person?" Trying to build a great nation? Their name's secretly Paul. Moira X is Paul X. <laughs> War Crimes Beast? It's secretly Paul. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make that meme today. It's always been Paul. It, yes. It's al- <laughs> always has it's been. been Paul the whole time. Professor X lifts his maker helmet off and it's just Timothy Chalamet's hair under there. <laughs> it's Ben Paul. You know what? If I watch Dune and there is no appearance by Bay of the Blood Moon, I'm going to be real mad. You might be upset. (laughs) Damn. Paul! Thanks, everyone. Bye.